This is a podcast from Minute Media. And here in Detroit, where so many of the tools of victory were turned out, it's in the air. All Detroit wants another kind of victory. They're out to see the Detroit Tigers, their favorite ball team. Let's go inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tigers Radio Pod here at MotorCityMingles.com. I'm Roy Hiller. You can see alongside me is Uper. Chris will be joining us shortly. And no, he's not getting pooped on his porch, rather, because of his Casey Mize article. We'll get to that in a second. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Our Heart Media, and Stitchler. And our guest this evening, I hope to make her, <clears throat> and pardon me, I'm a little bit under the weather. And no, it's not COVID, so please do not freak out. So our, our regular writer on her staff, Motor City Bengals, and I hope to make her come out of the pot more because, quite frankly, she's good at what she does. And, yeah, so this actually she goes back to the days of Town with Chris, and you've written for the Canadian Hall of Fame website, I believe. The Canadian Baseball Network, and I used to post every now and then to bless you boys, but mainly the Canadian Baseball Network, yep. Awesome. So without further ado, I usually Chris would ask you this question, but I'm going to have to take over this evening. What is your earliest baseball memory? I remember actually writing about this in one of my older stories. I was really close with my grandparents and one memory in particular that I have, I think I was about eight. I went to their house one evening and I was staying there for the weekend. And I remember being in my 101 Dalmatians pajama onesie we had our like wood veneer tv tables set up ready for sooner watching the blue jays big blue jays fans and the one thing that stands out to me the most from that is my grandparents are from they were from ukraine we're ukrainian so anytime they saw a baseball player's name that slightly resembled something that sounded european they were like oh he must be ours he must be from ukraine so yeah that's my first kind of baseball memory just after that it was in the family and always around always talking about it my dad grew up in michigan so there's the tigers connection there for me my mom's a huge blue jays fan so a rivalry in the house but it's fun (laughs) yeah especially because being at the, I've been to Skydome once and it was when I got there, I was awestruck because it was something that I remember when I was a kid, it was a big deal, this beautiful, majestic stadium. And then I went, oh, it's not, it's not the same. It was, but it was still a great atmosphere because Blue Jay fans, any minor league game I went to in 2019 or even when they were in Lansing, I remember we were in Toledo and some Blue Jay fans were just there. And same, it was, went to an Indians game when, Jim Tomei was getting his uh, statue retired. Same thing. They weren't playing the Blue Jays, but there was Blue Jay fans everywhere. So they traveled very well. And there was one guy I met in Lansing who went to every single minor league affiliate. That was his vacation to go. So I thought that was really cool. Funny about that is you called it the Sky Dome. It's called, it's the Rogers Center now, but me, it'll always be the Sky Dome because that's what I grew up calling it. And yeah, with the name change, I don't know, it just sticks with you. But yeah, it's a bit of an underwhelming ballpark. I would say it's not one of my favorites, but uh, Sky Dome it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Rogers Center. Go ahead, Uber. I'm sorry. I was going to say, Danielle, I I liked your story because it, it's, it links in with so many of the other people that we've had on. And you ask that same question and it's always, not every time, but almost always it comes back to your family. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of that first memory. And it's something most of us have in common. And that's one of the coolest things about baseball is we just all have this commonality of why we do what we do and watch what we watch. So thanks for sharing that story. That was good. Yeah. And you always pick up on traditions here and there. And baseball is one of them for me. So it's yep. uh, through the family way down. Everybody loves it and everybody's always watching it. And yeah, it's a favorite around here. That's for sure. Cool. So speaking of games that are going on, by the way, the Dodgers are up 3-2 right now at the end of the second. When Freddie Freeman went up 2 nothing, let all the air out of the stadium, but then all of a sudden Chris Taylor comes up and says, look, I'm going to be worth some money in free agency. I'm going to start reigning. And he hit a home run and got three-run shot. And so now the Dodgers are up 3-2. And so this is a series that I thoroughly enjoy because I thought the Dodgers would walk in and blast the Braves. And, of course, I'm wrong, and I freely admit that. But the Braves have, again, they get on the road in L.A., it's a tough place to play. The Dodgers play very well at home. And a team that's played really well on the road is Houston. And Houston's up 3-2 in that series. And there's some questionable decisions that Joey Coral will get to a little later. But I do want to, the reason why the episode is named Uperdamus uh, is because a few podcasts ago, so Uper was discussing the idea of Riley Green at the time and Ferguson going to the Arizona Fall League. And if I could do the flashback effect, which I think I do have, one of the things that you were talking about was that you remember when, was it Scott Sizemore that got hurt? Is that what it was? Scott Sizemore got hurt. So that really affected him into the next year. He was all set to inherit the, the starting job at second base. And whether you agree he should have gotten it and or they should have extended Placido Polanco, which I always thought was silly, romantic talk, he got hurt and that affected him. And who knows? He may, maybe he would have been just as average a player. But he got off to a bad start because of that. And then the other one, the big one to me has always been when Ryan Rayburn collided with Jason Kubel on a routine defensive play and shattered Jason Kubel's leg. And he he became a pretty decent player, but he was never as fast as he was before that injury. Who knows how it affected him long-term for the longevity of his career. So, I mean, anytime you put... And obviously you can hurt yourself stepping off the curb, right? Uh, in front of your house. But anytime you expose these guys to an extra four, 30, 40 games or whatever, you're asking to put up with some risk of injury. And these are two highly important properties Tigers have. And I just think they need to be judicious with where they put these guys and what kind of payoff are you getting? Torkelson was off to a nice start. He was seven for 14 or whatever he was with a bunch of walks. And that's great. What does that mean for next year? I'm not sure because the pitching that Arizona Fall League is always... And there's there's been the radars hit pre-mid-90s for a couple of these guys too. And so there's, for example, Wilmer Flores is going tonight for the Tigers as the game started. Starts at 9.30, which I thought was, I thought Mountain Time was eight, uh, two hours behind, but apparently it's I don't know. The baseball, I feel like they're messing with us or something because I swore earlier it said 635. So I'm like, okay, two hours be 835. Apparently not. It was 735 then, I guess. I don't know. But Flores, who was in Lakeland, will be pitching tonight and should be, it, we'll see how it does. And those kind of guys are perfect for the Arizona Fall League. So the Tigers probably want to see more of those. They, they, they need to evaluate players like him. I just, I don't think they need to evaluate Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson in that environment. That's 
basically how I look at it. I would have to agree. Was it the right move? sending Torkelson to the Arizona Fall League because he is such, for lack of a better word, calling him a high commodity, but he really is to the Tigers. And you've had, you've seen him being evaluated in so many other games. You already have an idea of how good he is. And it's never easy to see one of your top prospects go down that way. An ankle injury is, I don't know, it's not the best. It's pretty serious in my opinion and you depend on him later on down the line to do well and they've centered the team around him almost and he's always been at the forefront of the talks of the future and I did actually list that as one of my the bad for the later the segment later on I would have to agree with you there it's it's an iffy call I would think (laughs) and the one thing I want to ask you guys both and I'll start with you Danielle it's ankle injury to me just from my amateur doctor point of view Seems like it's a type of injury that lingers for a while, like similar to a back injury. When you have an injury or back, you injured your back, it seems like it lingers well. I would agree. I grew up playing sports. I'm not a professional by any means, but I did play sports when I was younger. And you, you always have those lingering injuries, as you said. One of mine is my knee. It's constantly bugging me. Any kind of weather change, when you move wrong, it tweaks. So I can only imagine what it would feel like as a professional baseball player, being such a top prospect in a club and to go down with an injury like that, it's not fun. You don't want to have that kind of for the rest of your career just starting out and he's such a he's such a good player to have that I think the fans are almost counting on things oh really well and it's scary to see and from an ankle perspective obviously he he, he wasn't drafted because of his wheels so that, you know that's okay I mean in some respects but it really boiled down to is there ligament damage long term or is it more of just a soft tissue injury around the ankle if that's the case, he's probably back in a few days, and that's cool. So we're just going to have to see where it goes. Wow. I don't know. Have they announced anything? They just it said it was a sprained ankle. I'm not sure of the severity yeah. of the sprain. So that's something to importantly remember because if it's something that structurally the ankle, it for somebody myself, I used to run cross country. My knee and my ankle were both just done so. And it, my ankle's never been the same since I had a, had a severe sprain my senior year to the point where I sat out majority of the season so i totally get it again high school professional told two different things i'm not going to pretend i i have, i don't know Roger. i heard you're pretty solid on that crux right across <laughs> that golf course oh <laughs> no but you're right i did run across uh, no kidding i no joke our i think our original final my junior year was on a golf course in ann arbor yes lots, lots of cross country and golf mix no. Oh, yeah, you know it too well. That's right. But yeah, there is, a, and then again, the other thing I wanted to get to was the news that the the Tigers made another interesting hire in the front office as this was something that just slipped through as Francis Romero, who does a really good job. I think he's an independent reporter. who should get a lot more due. And he ha- he is tuned in to the Cuban baseball pipeline of everything. And it really, I was disappointed that we, there's not more uh, a big deal made out of the big deal out of this or something. Have you guys, I don't know if you've seen a press release or not, but outside of myself and I believe bless you boys wrote about it. And that mm-hmm. was Yuki. I said that right. I was talking about that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> Yuki Rojas as the new director of Latin player development. And he comes from an interesting background because when I was looking it up and he originally was hired by David Littlefield in Pittsburgh. So you shriek and whore a little bit, but then you realize that he stayed on, he was so good, he stayed on after Littlefield left. He was in Boston during their championship run. 
and they went back to Pittsburgh and then he was their bullpen coach. And so there was a, I did read in our in athletic that he did get in a minor, him and a crick. I think I forgot the first name of the gentleman. A coach got into the dispute where he was suspended for two days, but that seemed like some really minor stuff. And who cares really? It's something that yeah. wasn't detrimental to the team. And, but this guy's a really good, comes from a pitching ground background. He was, he's the all-time leader in saves for the Cuban national team. And he pitched for the Havana in the status, which is a, the top, one of the top teams. Like they're the Yankees, essentially the Cuban national series, which is their top league. I don't know. I'll start with you, Uper. This seems like a, and he's also had direction. He also has experience in development too. He was for a while, helped Pittsburgh get going in the uh, in Dominican Republic, I believe. So I, his resume, I certainly couldn't go much beyond what we get to read as far as resume goes. Right. What I hope is that he's someone who has the personal relationships throughout Cuba and other parts of the Caribbean that can get the Tigers a little stronger foothold. We haven't heard a lot about this. It's an underreported area in general because we're talking about mostly 15 and 16-year-old kids who are oftentimes five to seven years away from the majors when they're signed. But it just seems that there is an old boys network underneath the surface that funnels a lot of these players to certain teams. And now, is this is Rojas part of that? Does he have the relationship with some of the talent developers there who have a lot of influence on these young kids? where they sign. If he does, that's something that Tigers, in my opinion, I think they've been in many, Tigers have been sorely lacking for a long time. They're never in the book, seems rarely in the running for some of the Cuban players who come over. How different would these two franchises look if Luis Robert was in a Tiger uniform right now? <laughs> if, if they had that relationship to get him. Hopefully Rojas is that guy. It, it, it was a, a good thing to, to read this week. And then, you know, I know that you cover the minor leagues for Town a little bit, but it does seem... In your opinion, are the Tigers really far behind in the international market, or do you think they're getting close? I would say with signing or hiring Rojas, I think it's a positive movement forward. I think they needed it. I think having that kind of culture change in the front office is a good fit for Detroit, especially like you said, to appeal to the international free agent market. And again, having those relationships with the players. And he does have the pitching coach experience with the Marlins, the Red Sox. And I think it was the Pirates you said in your story as well. But just to circle back on that, I would actually urge people to read your story on Motor City Bengals because his story is probably one of the most amazing that I've read. So I really do think that this helped the Tigers pro progress in a more positive way. Yeah, he floated on a 15-foot uh, raft with several other people to escape Cuba. And so he also will not represent the Cuban national team in any way, shape, or form after he left it. He's gotten some grief about it. And as you can see in my background, if you're watching on YouTube, I do have a Cuban flag, but my father was Cuban, and I honor my dad every day as any way I can. And honestly, like, if, for people that haven't been there or understand the struggle, Imagine not be able to eat what you want. You get rationed a quart of milk every month. And if you, uh, I know it's horrible. And I, I know I'm not a big political person. I never will be. And I don't, I don't plan on talking about it. But one thing is certain the Cubans are getting, have gotten the wrong deal for a long time. For what Rojas had to do, I, yeah, I don't blame him. And so I heard a lot of stupid raft jokes when I was a kid, too. And I, it drove me nuts. Oh, you can float over your raft. Oh, I was born here, Egyptians. Or, yeah, anyway. Sorry, I understand the frustration. 
Yeah, if I could actually jump in there, I would. There's similarities a lot of the time between Cuban stories and Ukrainian immigrant stories. For a long time, they weren't independent up until 1991, where they were their own domain, basically. And without getting too political, but again, it's these positive changes. You need these people in front office. You need them in leadership positions where they can actually influence and make a difference. And I think he really will do that. For sure. And the, the I think the biggest thing I could take away from all this too, is that there'll probably be some more, I think they'll be in the mix for that more. And I think that it, it's no offense to, I believe it was Rafael Martinez, I think it yeah. was the previous one, the previous Latin development, but I don't, it, it's not his fault or anything. So it's, it is what it is. And the Tigers want to make a change. And speaking of changes, Oh, the wonderful Chris Brown joins. Hey, Chris Brown. Hey, speaking of changes, David Bowie in the house. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Casey Mize himself. Hey. Oh, geez. All right. So, yeah, I apologize for, for showing up so late. And whatever reason, we still put our son, who's almost eight, to sleep every night. Tonight, he was not having it. So, and, and Tara had city council tonight, so it was all on me. Oh, it's city council night. Yeah, that's right. I failed. Maybe it was the... Coconut cream pie I gave him at eight o'clock. But uh, that's anyway. a decision worth revisiting. Yes. <laughs> but you, good to see you. Good to see you again, Danielle. Nice to meet you, finally, in person. Me too. You ready? Me too. So, what I missed so far? So, we we talked when I gave her the question, or well, All right. first time guest, and hopefully, or for or recurring host from here on out, we oh. talked about the, let's see, we talked about that, the ALCS, the NLCS, just made a brief overview of what's going on which, by the way, the Dodgers are up 3-2, I believe, last I checked. And then we just started going to Rojas, the Rojas hire for the Tigers. And we also discussed uh, Smith Torkelson's injury a little bit. And that's why the episode's called Euperdamus. Uh, well, well, so, you know what? I was, uh, I, again, I was a little bit out of the loop. Was there any confirmation about what happened there? Or was it just? A sprained ankle. That's all they said was. Sprained. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. The severity of it is, I'm not sure about that yet. Yeah. But, uh, not that dreaded high ankle sprain. Right. Yeah. The one that never goes away. I think if, I think it, cause I was talking about how you and I have talked about this before back, how back injuries linger around ankle injuries were just yeah. as bad too, because you, you're so scared to put a certain amount of pressure on there or what have you. So it's always, especially I imagine, I imagine football. I remember, was it Frank Gore had over a hundred knee surgeries? hundred. Oof. Good Lord. Yeah. Something like that. He had all these tears all the time, but by the way, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can make a comment, ask a question for the show. We have a question later today from one of my favorite accounts, which we'll get to in a little while. That guy rules, by the way. I, <laughs> Dead, means, Deadly Ninja Bees? Deadly Ninja Bees is, by me, he can, he can join our fan ring of honor if that ever was a thing. Dead, so, also, we did. I wanted to mention, dude, we did get a five-star review, I think, oh, yesterday. So thank you for sending that in. I wish I remembered your name right now, but I can't. I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, so Wait, I we got a five-star review the week after I was gone. I wonder if that <laughs> was it from you you? <laughs> yeah so if you have a question for the the podcast just let us know and we'll gladly answer it but yeah i was just talking about rojas and, and what a good impactful hire and hopefully will provide some much more into the pipeline oh sorry chris go ahead oh no yeah no i, I sorry i was just trying to bring up the afl yeah no a lot of these hires i don't know i wanted to write a piece a while ago about I've referenced it like a half dozen times out here and still haven't done it, but about the kind of the lack of impact from the international market the Tigers have gotten. So maybe this will help. It can't hurt. No, it cannot. Unless he yeah. gives favorable treatment that one article you found. 
Oh, yeah. I think he, I, I think with that article I found, I think it is just let the guy just be, you know what I mean? Like he's. Yeah. It was more of a, nobody likes a tattletale. Yeah. Kind of reaction, exactly. you know? Yeah. So. Just shut up and go do your thing. And I'm just don't worry about them. Are they pitching yeah. effectively? Yes, of course. But uh, yeah, let's continue on. And we are going to. Unless you have anything else to add, Chris, about the Torkelson injury before we move on? No, not really. Yeah, I assume you called Uperdamas because uh, he was worried about players getting injured. And yeah. and like I said, we haven't seen Kreidler in a week, so I, I checked the roster today to, to see if he's playing. But yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it's no big deal. Uh, I think, yeah, it was only a handful of games, but anybody who was watching was like, yeah, Torkelson looked pretty good. He wasn't in for a ton of power yet, but he was doing what we talked about toward the end of the season, going the opposite way. Poking singles when he could, taking his walks, which is all good, good signs to me. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to go the opposite field. It's time for Rogelio and Chris to go inside the numbers. Fire. All right, it's time for inside the number. Danielle, what is your guess? So you go first. What is your inside the number? So mine was um, about Julio or the only the second time in his career that he's given up three home runs in a game. The last one was June second, twenty sixteen. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Well played. He must have been. He must have been like nineteen then. Young guy. Yeah, didn't he? He went out. Didn't he miss a season because of his elbow? Right, like he had really bad outplay. I thought it was actually his shoulder. Like it was. He was one of those rotator cup things were so, oh geez like a rotator capsule or whatever that was like oh this might hit him but so yeah he's been it's been a kind of a, a quiet really cool comeback for for him yeah there's no question early on they were really worried about that elbow or shoulder excuse me i think that three homer one might have been his debut oh wow. I, I believe it was yeah. Like, yeah right in the beginning of his career that's cool. Well, well and that's the only thing i know because of fantasy baseball <laughs> I was gonna say I'm wait, I'm wait. I should put a fancy baseball or kind of thing like, eh, going in that conversation. <laughs> Zach, you, what about you? What's your inside number? Very simple one tonight. Seven. Chris Sale. Seven career postseason starts. Zero quality starts. One of the best pitchers of his generation. Most talented, anyway. Yeah, just it's still a small sample, and you're always taking on the best teams in baseball. So when, when you talk playoff success or uh, lack of success. All that needs to be factored in. So I don't think this really draws him as uh, less valuable pitchers because he's 0 for 7 on quality starts in the playoffs. But I think it just does tell us at least a little bit about, uh, there's been a lot of talk this week about bullpen games and starters not going very long and being you know jacked around into other roles. And that's fine. You also see a guy as talented as him who, as a traditional starter, hasn't gotten the job done either. I just think there's more... As we go along through baseball and, and roles are changing, we're seeing more ways to win. Whether it's Framber Valdez went eight innings to win for Houston the other night in a traditional starting role. But the same night, I think the Braves used seven pitchers to get 27 outs to beat the Dodgers. So there's just a lot of ways to go about it. All right, Chris, what about you? Yeah, you know what? It's my Mine's almost exactly the same. My, my number is 635, 6.35. That's Chris Sale's career postseason ERA. And in 34 innings, he's allowed 24 in runs. And his outing the other night, two in runs at five and a third, is probably his second best postseason start ever. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, just like you were saying, he, he's just a fascinating pitcher to me because he's truly like a Hall of Fame level talent. I, I was looking it up in the integration era. Uh, he's got... Uh, top 20 ERA, career ERA, 
among pitchers with at least 1500 innings. Like he's above Roger Clemens. He's up there with Bob Gibson. It's a 3.03 career ERA, but it's like clockwork for him. It seems like as soon as it gets close to the end of summer, his, he starts to struggle. And so you can look at his career array. It's 269 in May, 256 in June, 278 in July, but then 326 in August, 377 in September, and of course, 635 in October. It's like in my head, maybe it doesn't pay to be built like a scarecrow, <laughs> but it can't just be him tiring every year, I wouldn't think, but uh, who knows? So I don't know. So yeah, I just found that interesting because we, we had pretty similar bads there or uh, inside the numbers, I should say. They were both bad. They're both bad. <laughs> I would have to agree with both of you. I actually made a note of it earlier. My dad and I were talking about him and we were talking about him this series and it's almost like he's not giving the Red Sox what they're hoping for kind of thing. And we circled back to he's almost like Clayton Kershawing this series. So I don't know. It's just a really interesting observation to watch him now. <laughs> Yeah, and part of it is, that's a great point with Kershaw, because he, he is number one in the integration era in ERA, but he, for so long, struggled in the postseason. And it's just one of those things that, like you say, you're facing the best teams and the, and the moment is bigger and you have little room for error. Part of it just could be the small sample, but yeah, it's fascinating to see that happen. Yeah, and Kershaw has come up with a couple of good games here and there to mix in. I mean, he has been roughed up every time. But well, yeah, it, and it's also interesting that both tall, lanky lefties with funky deliveries. <laughs> yeah, and I remember a couple of years ago, I tweeted this out. We, Justin Verlander has been one of the great postseason pitchers you know, in, in the modern era, particularly in the division in ALCS series. series but his World Series ERA is abysmal. It's it's just kind of funny the way it works. Some guys just have a couple of rough outings, and, and that's going to ruin them for a while. There's a, I think that one of the things I've noticed, and there's a theme going across the postseason, is that you, you talk about, you know, pitching matters and pitching, pitching, pitching. That's always been the key with, but I think about it. If you think about outside of the Diamondbacks in 01, was it, yeah, 01, mm -hmm. with Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, no one could ever remember the rest of that rotation. And it was one of the first teams that was slowly built or built on non they really didn't have a lot of guys through their system. Everybody was quiet through free agency or trade, what have you. But then I think about those Braves team that had Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin. Because I was thinking about, I was doing an article on pitching uh, the, there was a pitch, I did a Chris Fetter effect article for Here's the Pitch, which is for International Baseball Writers Association. And I was talking about Lee Mazzoni, who was the pitching coach for the Braves and renowned for putting this, together this great rotation. And John Smoltz thanks him all the time for, fixing his funky delivery, make him a better pitcher. And I was thinking about that, how it, we might have that version of that with Chris Fetter in Detroit. We might have our own Lee Mazzoni. And again, I know for some of the people under 30 or under, who the hell is that guy? Mm -hmm. um, some, not, I'm not saying you, Danielle, because I know you're, you're baseball, but. Well, some stuff, I don't know everything. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> Most of the time I can keep up. But so I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was in, it, the theme has always been pitching, but it just, it seems like in this postseason, you can throw that out the window. These battles of aces, you think about the 91 World Series, Jack Morris against John Smoltz, and they went 10 innings, and was it one nothing? It was a one nothing win. And so yep. those days are, to me, they're long gone. I know Dave Roberts gets a really weird look, like a, the Mike Myers look of how he starts a bullpen, but it works. 
So who am I to judge? It, but the well, so, the starters too. The way starters, it's you're never going to see those again. I agree because it's it's a harder job than it's ever been. Back in the days when Sandy Koufax and all those guys were pitching them, you know, Mickey Lolich, whatever, going full, the shortstop couldn't hit. The second baseman was a little guy who couldn't hit. The shortstop was, or the center fielder was a little guy who couldn't hit. I had catcher with a big guy that couldn't hit. Yeah. Okay. There was like five guys, four or five guys that were downwards. Automatic outs. Yeah. And the pitcher was batting to boot. You could plow your way through a lineup a lot easier. And I think sometimes the old, the old journalists who were hanging on to the glory days of the sixties and seventies don't want to admit that there's just more power in today's game. It's way harder to navigate a lineup for nine innings. Yeah. And you need all the advantages you can get. So my inside number is two. It's 357 and 176. And that is Austin Riley's batting average, 357 at home with a home run, three RBIs. He's, got, he's five for 14 at home. On the road, he's batting, his splits are 176, 222, and 353. At home, his OPS, I should have said his splits in the first place, 438 OPS on base percentage and slugging at 643. So he is. And this is something, Chris, I know you and I have talked about one of Mississippi, whoever won that national cha- or national player of the year award has then really gone places, I guess. I remember we had the discussion about him, but Austin Riley. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, player, uh, high school players from Mississippi. Yeah, to talk about uh, a Cole Ke- the, on, in the, yeah. the context was Cole Keith, which I think is going to be a little different. But anyway, I just thought that was fascinating because... They talk about him being a postseason hero, and then I look at him like at home. Yes, of course, he, he back to back, and he's done a fantastic job. But on the road, his road splits are just—it's like Rocky esque. Yeah, he's a really interesting one. Who was like he was a top one hundred prospect and and a guy that people liked a lot. But there was always these worries about strikeouts. Matt, it looked like that was going to be his undoing. And then this year, he just figured out a way to do enough damage when he wasn't striking out that he became a really good player. I think he might have led the Braves in war this year, actually. So, yeah, it's yeah, another uh, a good uh, example of maybe not giving up on your young player. Yeah, and, and I'm glad for the Braves, too, because they've made this series an interesting one in the sense that it was just not going to roll over. and But they're fighting for it right now. And both series, I, I think, are going to go either, I think, Potentially, I think both series could go seven games. I think that's a realistic possibility. And the Dodgers are still fighting their way out of this hole that they're in right now. But going back to Atlanta, it's a different place to play. And credit where credit's due. And the Braves, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. That's part of my, it's part of a segment that I love. It's something that, it makes a lot of sense. All right, it's time for the good, the bad, the ugly. Chris, you start off tonight. What is the good, the bad, the ugly? Oh, all right, thank you. My good is Eddie Rosario, and I might not be the only one who picked this, so I apologize, but it's hard not to after his ridiculous game against the Dodgers the other night, four for five with a triple and two homers. But uh, mostly this is just an opportunity for me to throw out my unproven and almost certainly wrong theory about the most dangerous players in the postseason being the guys who swing at everything. And like most of my theories, it goes back to Delman Young, who uh, Delman Young's career postseason OBS is like 100 points higher than his regular season. And he got big hits for the Tigers and against them. And so I was looking, just looking at the, like the, over the last 20 years, the the players with the highest swing rates overall. And Eddie Rosario, he is 15. And his postseason OPS right now is about 300 points higher than his regular season OPS. And you can see like other uh, guys in that top 20 or top 30, AJ Pierzynski, Postseason OPS is 130 points higher than his regular season. Pablo Sandoval, 150 points higher. 
So that's where I'll stop. And my theory is correct. Pay no attention to Abbasale Garcia and Adam Jones. Shout out um, Wayne Trichter. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's, it's just the thing that, that like, it seemed like for a while the Tigers were only targeting guys like that. Your double Lugos who could, would swing at everything and could put the bat on everything, but necessarily didn't do any damage. For whatever reason, they just seemed to do damage in the postseason. But that was my good. My bad is Trey Turner, which is a bummer because I love Trey Turner as a player. Tons of speed, good power, plays up the middle. And I don't know if it's just because he always seems to find a way to be hurt in the playoffs. I remember a couple of years ago, his finger was basically pointing the wrong way, and I don't know if his finger's hurt again. But uh, heading into today, 37 career postseason games. He's uh, 170 plate appearances. He has a 540 OPS in the postseason. One home run, 219 batting average, 5.3% walk rate, and a 26% strikeout rate. Now, he's never been like a huge walk guy. It's like a 7.5% walk rate, but that strikeout rate is like eight points higher than his regular season. Wow. And his isolated power which we talked about your slugging minus batting average in his career it's 189 in the postseason it's 062. he did have two hits in the wild card game but he's just seven for 41 cents including his one hit tonight and i guess he got hit by a pitch in the second at bat but yeah it's a bummer he's a really good player and he's just been bad yeah. another one of those cases where you know the moment's too big for him the challenge sure if he's just in my ugly is the general lack of competitiveness in the alcs now the nlcs has been mostly great a lot of i think the first three games were all decided by one run he had a couple walk-offs there it was uh the blowout on, on wednesday night but uh, the alcs has just been really strange it was a close game in, in game one and then boston won by four and then won by nine and then houston come back and wins by seven and eight <laughs> and i think i heard it was the first postseason series ever with three consecutive games decided by seven runs or more wow and to be fair the one i don't know if it was wednesday night where the oh, it was really close it was the game sale pitch i think or I don't remember which game it was, maybe the one before that, but Astro scored seven runs in the ninth. Before that, it was really close, but still, it's just been not great games for the casual observer or somebody who's not as a vested interest, and that's just a bummer, in my opinion. And they've been early rallies, too, where the game's over in second inning. They just could have waited till the seventh inning to score seven runs or something. That's what they did there in the one game I was talking about, but yeah, it's it's just been a, a strange kind of competitive uh, blowout, if you will. Yep. All right, Youper, what about you? What's your... Well, I made a couple of good, definitely the Atlanta Braves. I know we've talked about it a bit in the past, but it, it bears reiterating. Ronald Acuna goes down, and who gave them much chance of being where they are right now when that happens? And he never had Mike Soroka all year, but especially Acuna after 90 games, the season's over. They make those moves at the deadline. It really was amazing how aggressive they were, and they went out and got good players, not necessarily great players. But they're great. They're good players who have performed very well for them. Soler, Peterson, Rosario, Duval, and it's all worked out. How often do you go for that? You're getting guys who are really going to help your lineup in the playoffs. And it's out, but there's also that little bit of luck factor. If Soler doesn't get hurt, is Eddie Rosario getting all these at bats? You know, I probably pretty questionable or not hurt. He's sick. He got COVID. But either way, if he's in the lineup, what, what's he doing right now? Is he hitting home runs or is he striking out? And we don't know. They got a little fortuitous there that Rosario got these at bats and he's come through like a champ for them. So this has been the, the Braves for me growing up when I did, and there wasn't baseball everywhere on television. You got the Superstation, and I was a Dale Murphy fan. And I watched probably 110 Braves games a year. So I'm not a huge Braves fan, but I always do if it's them versus the Dodgers. I'll pick the Braves and I'll follow them. So this has been a very fun watch in the playoffs to see them. Freddie Freeman is just a fantastic player. Really fun to watch him swing the bat. My bad, Dodgers, 
offense came in tonight hitting 211 as a team in the playoffs. Their on base percentage, 266. I think they've scored two runs or less in five of their 10 playoff games. The offense has just dried up and they miss Max Muncy, obviously, but that shouldn't be all of it. They've, they've spent so much money to build a super team, 106 win team. It's really amazing that their offense has really dried up. Although they did a couple homers tonight, so maybe they're going to unleash it soon. My ugly going off the board here. My daughter is in St. Louis right now. She's doing a college visit at the University of Health Sciences and Pharmacy in St. Louis. School's been around for 100 years. They're starting a lacrosse program next year, so she's hopeful to play for them. So she's over there visiting with my wife. I will, without Googling, if any of you three can name their mascot, their nickname, without Googling it, I'll give you $100. Wait, no, just St. Louis? It's the University of Health Sciences and Pharmacy. So it's not. Oh. Unfair, because I'm Canadian. It's a horrible question. I'm just going to give it to you. They're called the Eutectics. Eutectics. The Eutectics. All right. E-U-T-E-C-I-C-S. That's for the name, not because your daughter is in the school. That's awesome. But this, your name is just horrible. This sounds like a bad 80s, uh, you know, ska band or something. They're a post-funded uh, band that plays nothing but synth, and they have one drum that goes doosh. <laughs> and they're they her cut like flock seagulls, except it goes left, right. The Eutectics open for the Arrhythmics. Back <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for it. <laughs> so, anyway, the, uh, Eutectics, I think it, I, I still kind of get it through my mind, but it's like the lowest temperature where two alloys will melt together into one or something. It's yeah. the bizarre thing ever. I'm, re- I'm reading about it right right now, the eutectic system on Wikipedia, and the first thing it says, eutectic redirects here for the sports mascot. See St. Louis College of Pharmacy and mascot. Yes. So... If my daughter enjoys this visit and she's having lunch with the coach tomorrow, next year is their inaugural season. They have women's sports in, in basketball and, and volleyball and a few other things, but they're starting lacrosse. I cannot wait to get the property of Eutectics sweatshirt. Good. <laughs> it's just, I, 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 I got so many good laughs and one-liners about that around the house here with her. So, no, no, uh, no, do they have a good logo? If they have a good logo, I'll get a cap. Their logo is somebody called... Michael McPessel or something. Okay. It's a, like a, a crazy guy in a lab coat with a crazy beard with a mortar and pestle. <laughs> That's the little guy they have. All right. It's the most bizarre thing. We have, you know what? We, we have the internet and we have the ability to show these things. And so I'm going to show right now, if anybody's watching on YouTube, what the hell this logo looks like. And it looks, it looks like Team Wolf. This looks like Teen Wolf. I'm not kidding. I don't know if anybody will get that reference uh, or younger audience, but. But you can see he's wearing a lab coat. Yeah. So before, this is the one before. This was the, they it used to be the college. This was their old logo or the, yeah, this is part of the new logo. But look at that. He's like, I'm mixing. Mortimer McPestle. Is that his name? Mortimer McPestle. McPestle. I can like that. You know what? Honestly, you know, oh, wow, look at that. Like, imagine that, seeing that when you wake up. Look, I'm telling you right now, I would get a logo. What, if I could get a hoodie with that logo, I, I would be happy. I like this, the purple and white. It's not the same typical thing, but. Yeah, yeah. If my daughter 
decides to go there, I'll set you up with one. No question about it. Yeah. So we'll see. She's a good little lacrosse player. She's not a star, but I think she could help a small college team. So she wants to be a nurse. That's the most important part. They got to have a good nursing program. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. That's my ugly. New tactics. New tactics. Wow. That's a good way to end it. Okay, Danielle, what is your good, the good, the bad? So mine were general, not very playoffs or postseason specific, but the good for me, because I haven't been able to talk about this anywhere really, was seeing fans back in Canadian stands. I was talking to Roger about this yesterday. Basically, Ontario was in lockdown consecutively on and off for about a year. So Blue Jays weren't allowed to have fans anywhere. They were playing in Buffalo and Dunedin. So they finally got to have a full stadium for their final homestand. So to me, that was amazing. Another good about that was even though they did play in Buffalo and Dunedin and split their season everywhere, they almost made it into the postseason. So to me, that just shows how good they will be in the future to be able to adapt that way. But definitely the good for me was seeing fans back in Canadian stands for sure. Sorry, did I cut someone off? So the bad for me was unlikable postseason teams. So specifically, I'm not a very big fan of the Red Sox or the Astros. So watching the ALCS for me, I don't have a rooting interest in either. So it's pick lesser of two evils, I would say. I think I would say I'm pulling for the Braves at this point, despite being such a fan of Scherzer and Mookie and the players that they have. But to me, again, the Dodgers are basically the Yankees of the National League. So (laughs) yeah. Unlikable team, but another bad for me was the Spencer Torkelson injury, which we spoke about earlier. You never want to see something like that. It's tough to watch, but he did walk off the field. So I'm hoping good things for him there. Another one is just minor, a minor gripe is late game starts. Now that I'm, now that I'm a working 30 year old getting up at 630 in the morning and then trying to catch the game beforehand, it's not really fun for me, but that's just a minor one. And then the ugly general for me is Joe West and Angel Hernandez. I don't think I have to really elaborate on that front. I think I'm pretty pleased that Joe West will be retiring. And then again, there's been some questionable calls throughout the postseason. Yeah, most recently was when Yovaldi was throwing what what should have been a strike to Jason Castro and it was called a ball. And then again, San Francisco Giants ending the season on a check swing call. So that was the ugly for me. Now we're not really pleased with those there. I don't blame you on that. That was good. That was good. Honestly, yep. that's, that was a very good, the bad and the ugly. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm good at those things. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that we've had our own kind of ridiculous drama here in the States about the vaccines and stuff, but it's one thing that we didn't, but you don't hear about a, a lot here is, is that we had them available and, and it wasn't necessarily the case in Canada that we don't have the domestic vaccine production. So you have to count on other people and yeah, I don't know. It just is something that I had to consider until I heard about it recently. Yeah. I think now Ontario is well above the 75% fully vaccinated. So of the population. Probably better than uh, any state in the U.S. Yeah, but we definitely had to wait for vaccines for a long time. It was a relief to see fans trying to have some sense of normalcy when it comes to baseball. It was a little late, but I guess better safe than sorry. So 
it was nice to see though. Yeah, it was definitely cool to, to, I felt bad for Toronto for playing basically three different home stadiums all year and, and yeah. to come so close. That's one of the reasons I included them in, in my trade piece because I thought, hey, maybe they could use uh, a little more pitching. Hey, you never but, know. You never know. Yeah, they, I, I think the Blue Jays gave up quite a bit to get Berrios, but I think it was worth it. And I think Berrios being there, the opportunity to resign next year. I think, yeah, he's going to be there. That was a good move by them. And you guys took the good for me was the Braves outfield acquisitions because I was thinking about what the last time it paid off and I had to go back to Fred McGriff, but that didn't pay off till for a while. If you look at the trade back then, the trade for Fred McGriff was for, this is again, one of those famous, hi, we're the San Diego Padres. We'd like to make trades every single year in the nineties. And they're always for like six or seven players. Thank you, Randy Smith. And this one was a Randy Smith special. They traded Vince Moore. The Braves traded Vince Moore, Donnie Elliott, and Melvin Nieves. Wink. That's a name that we hear from Tiger fans later. Mm-hmm. For Fred McGuff and the rest is history. Melvin Nieves, of course, had a cup of coffee here in Detroit. Did horrible. And I've never heard the other two guys in my life. But he, Fred McGriff, the crime dog, he paid off. I know. And is he still popping in Toronto? Fred McGriff. If I don't know who he is, I would say no. Okay. Well, because I never don't quote me on that. I don't know. What about Joe Carter? Could Joe pa- Carter go around anywhere in Toronto and not buy a beer? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. All right. <laughs> I would say he's still a fan favorite for sure. Yeah. I was gonna say reverse with Alamar yeah. them not anymore. Fred McGriff has one of my favorite memories in baseball. That left hand batter, whenever he would lace one to the opposite field up the gap, he would have that beautiful one handed follow through that finished around his back. It was just the most gorgeous baseball swing in my lifetime. I loved that whatever the most. And he would just send those rockets just over the fence to, in the left center gap or off the fence. One of my best baseball memories. That guy was good. I hope he gets the whole theme. So. There's your answer. He's still a fan favorite. Yeah. He last played in Toronto in what, 1990? So I maybe that's. Born yeah, that's what I was going to say. No, I don't know. Maybe Danielle knows Dave Steve, but, but well, uh, yeah. I was just curious about the far part that maybe her, perhaps her father's like, for yeah. was here or Jimmy Key spun goal here before we got there. He for sure does. He's in yeah. the other room. I could probably ask him, but. Dad, Fred McGriff. Get in here. <laughs> yeah, and you could talk to your dad's obsession with, or excuse me, the Sparky Anderson obsession with former Blue Jays, John Rudy, Lloyd Mosby, David Wells. There was another, I feel like there's another pitcher in there too. I miss it, but I remember the Tigers used to collect ex Blue Jays like it was like some sort of habit. But so my good, like I said, I had to I had to improvise on the fly here. So I was thinking about this in terms of what would be good about this postseason, and the one the, the, I really wanted to focus on Fernando Valdez because going into going into the postseason, he was starting to get he started to get really comfortable. He had a year at two point nine eight in September. Yeah, one bad start against the A's, but then at this point, you know, they already clinched at this point, but he went out there and gave him exactly what Houston needed. And Dusty Baker, credit where credit's due to Dusty Baker. And there's a, to me, I think Dusty Baker is one of those, a very underrated manager in a sense. This is his, he's taken, what, three different teams in the World Series? There is a second, wait, I'm trying to think of. Giants, Ryan. did he get the Cubs to the World Series? No. No. The Nats? No. That, oh, I was saying, well, yeah, that was David Martinez in 2019. I was thinking of, but so he's taken four teams to the LCS, I think, right? No, yeah, 
Reds. He was at the Reds, right? For a while. Yeah. It's also good to see in the other part of the, the good too is Juan Washington. And just to see Juan Washington putting his ice on his like shoulder and some of the theatrics there, that was it's a nice touch because the bad is how long the postseason's taking. Games right now, the average playoff game this postseason has lasted three hours and forty-two minutes. Three hours and forty-two minutes. That's most that's longer than some football games. I mean, it's, I can't, I agree with you, Danielle. I can't stay up and go, oh, I got to commit to this. I just DVR everything. I'll just watch in the morning while I'm working from home. Just screw that. It's just it's ridiculous. I used to be the type that you, I used to stay up so late watching postseason games. I remember there was one couple of years ago where it went on, it, the Red Sox were in it and it went on until four in the morning. And I used to be able to do that, but now I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Now, 18 innings. Didn't that go 18? I think so. Yeah, something like that. It's it's rather ridiculous to me that it's just that the, the way they've been, quote, unquote, trying to shorten the game has seemed to be, has failed miserably. And it's not just, it's not a Boston, New York thing, too, because it used to be that every time those two teams play on Sunday night baseball, you like it was going to end after midnight because of the way they played. In this case, it's just too much. I mean, I feel like even when they go to the mountain business, take too way too long. It should be, you have 10 seconds or something like, or whatever the case may be. It's just, it's, I know they probably do some, I would hope they do some sort of math and average out why it is what it is. But yeah, anyway, we're going to see. Good. Oh, they're going to say something. Sorry. Oh, I could offer a, a quick live update on the uh, Arizona Ball League. If you yeah, want. go ahead. Wilmer, Wilmer Flores with a start tonight. First inning. Four hits, four runs, a walk, and two wild pitches. But he did hit 96.5. Uh, and second inning, he came back, 10 pitches, two strikeouts. You're crazy, son bitch. You did it. He did it. No, we knew this was going to be a huge challenge for him, so it's nice to see him shake off that rough first inning and come back and ultimately show some progress there. A couple swings and misses with his curveball and a couple with his cutter. Not bad. Good it's stuff. No, that's all I'm saying. So the other, the ugly is this entire, and it was an article in the ringer that that came out today that talked about the experimental rules that it work in the Atlantic league. And in terms of it, one idea that I still think is the stupidest one is pushing back the mound. <laughs> dumb, extremely dumb. I just, I, I don't get it, but some of the, in terms of the way they've communicated it, the so for example, the mound was moved back by a foot, the sixty-one feet six inches, and they even tried the double hook rule. The effects were which tried to promote the double hook rule, and in double A, the other thing that I forgot they did too. I remember this was the infield shift was banned in double A, and then in triple A, the bases were enlarged from fifteen to eighteen inches to a slide. In high A, the pitchers had to step off the rubber and attempt to pick off. In low A. Fisher's limited to step-offs or pick-off attempts per play appearance. I think some of these rules are just, I know they're just trying to put spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks, but the reason why this is ugly to me is because there's no continuity to it. There's no type of kind of concrete evidence this is working because it just seems like the robo-empires, wow. The robo-umpires is still not exact science. And it's still, I know that it's one of those leagues that things that's going to take forever to catch on. I'd rather see a RoboCop 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching. I was. I was watching the movies that made us earlier, and I watched the one. Prime movie. Directive. Yeah, Prime Directive. Do not. Do not. It hurt the players. Just read out like that. But no, I think I would rather see a robot umpire than Joe West or Angel Hens. Absolutely. And no offense to you, Uper. I know you're an ump. I know. But you're not. You're not on the MLB level. You do God's work by <laughs> doing like because it's that you like for example, Michigan is struggling to get officiating filled right now, and so yep. that's why I say you're doing God's work there. And but yeah, that's that. The reason why I want my ugly is because I feel like there's no. This is all going to crap. They haven't really figured it out yet. I just think some of those rules. There's nothing wrong in my mind with using the minor leagues to try these things out, but is is my question is is one year enough to decide determine if it's it's any good or not I'm, I'm not sure about that like i think the bigger bases i don't think that hurts anything i think also they were going to make them lower profile and tackier so they don't slip off them i like i like that so we'll just have to see where it goes I, what did they say in the article Raj, about moving the uh, mound back did the pitchers care of course let me see what they said the I'll, let me circle back on that but uh, i, I I remember hearing that the pitchers were very upset about that possibility and considered basically striking or the equivalent of a strike. I don't know what happened once they actually started pitching from farther back. I didn't actually read that article, so Roger would have a better uh, understanding of that. I, I The double hook one, double hook is when you basically, if you take your pitcher out, you also lose the DH, right? Yeah. Yeah, which I, I don't know. that. I feel that's not going to be a deterrent for most managers if their pitcher is getting shelled. I'm glad glad the ringer has this data. The one thing, so the offense before and after the strike zone change, so the key percentage was 26%. Walk rate was, walk percentage 10.4. Batting average 238, on-base percentage 328. And so it was 392. Afterwards, it was 26.7 K rate. Walk rate was 9.4. Batting average went up to 250. OPS or excuse me, on-base percentage, OP, oh, I just say on-base percentage, 331, but the slugging percentage went up to 415. And that was with the mound? With that was, I'm sorry, that was with the strike zone change. Oh, okay. So I was looking for, I was still looking for the robo-ump information, so, or that, not the robot information, but the mound. But this was the, the reason why they did this was to reduce strikeouts. And it was, you, you mentioned earlier how negative the reaction was, but the, it didn't seem, the, one of the things, the pluses about, here, okay, so I do have the stats for that. It didn't spark any injuries, which is why the pitchers didn't mind it after a while. Mm-hmm. So the offense before and after the mound move, before, eight, same categories. K, 17.7, walks, 10.1, batting average, 287, on base percentage, 367, slugging, 441. Afterwards, 18.5 K rate, 10.8 walk rate, a bag average of 279 and on base percentage of 366, slugging a 444. So there's not even much of a difference mm. at all. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, that is the good and bad logo for this week. So we do have a listener question. And it's, again, one of my favorite. I love this. I love his. That's a sweet logo. Look at that. Watch this on YouTube. That, the guy, that Deadly Ninja Bees. Salute to you, my friend. So the question is hey, guys, what do you think that. Who gets the Fetter Magic next? I thought well, Alex Lange or well, yeah, Lang and Funk were totally different by totally different players by a year of end. 
I'll start with you, Danielle. Good question. First, provided that he's still around for when Jackson Joe needs some help, or doesn't need help, but needs some more developing, I would like to see how that would turn out, I think. Yeah, Jackson Joe. Alex Vido jumps to mind. Can his career be put on track? He's obviously injured. Before that, he was a little up and down. I don't know what our excitement level up with Alex Fido was before the Tommy John surgery, but certainly the guy has an arm talent. He's showing that. I'm interested to see him working with Chris better. Probably same with Joey Wentz. Put him in that mix as well. I will tell you who I hope it is. I hope it's Matt Manning. I hope that he had some time with Matt Manning. We saw some changes on the fly, but I hope with an off season and a spree training that they can really work it out there. There are a couple other interesting names I could see it happening with guys that we saw briefly this year or, or got them. I think Jason Foley could be an interesting one as one of their younger, and I don't know, wait, say 25, 26 now, but a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience at higher levels, he's got a big arm, the sort of guy that they can refine a little bit, turn him into a decent bullpen piece. Uh, and Ronnie Garcia, remember him? Ah. The rule five pick from last year. And he's got, it's another guy who had an interesting arm through enough strikes, just got shelled when he pitched uh, in 2020. Tons of home runs. There might be something there for him to work with. And, and maybe piggybacking on what Danielle said, instead of Jackson Joe, maybe Ty Madden, because he was a guy who was mostly fastball slider in, in college. And I remember he fell in the draft because people thought his fastball wasn't going to play. So someone like that, maybe... It seems to me that's kind of better specialty is getting guys to find a pitch that works for them or changing their pitch, uh, pitch mix to get, be a little bit more effective. So he's a guy who I could see getting some results there fairly soon. That's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. I would have to say for mine, if the dependent, if they bring him back is Willie Peralta, the only reason why I mentioned that is that prior to this season, he threw a split finger, maybe 30. 20, 30 times, I think, or even less than that in 2015, 2016. This year, his split finger, points were bad in 098 against it. And, and Jake did a really good job of in our Tiger Review series about the season he had, a very underrated season. Well, that split finger worked for him. And that's a Chris Fetter effect right there. He looked at it and said, this is your best pitch. Use it and utilize it to the max. And because prior to that, his four seam and sinker, that was all he was using. And just a, it was one of those things where I don't really, think that at the end of the day, it's, this was something that, yeah, it's awesome programming. So anyway, but the, I, at well, the end of the day, it's just, to me, I think that's where we're going to be going with it. But I think if they do resign him, then that's where they're going to go. We came up with a good list of guys because Chris has demanded that Casey Mize be treated. So we're going to need some of those people to come through next year. Yes, that was, uh, <laughs> if, if, if I wanted people to get anything from that article, it was that I desperately want to trade Casey Mize. Just a, just a quick aside, I noticed that Chris Taylor hit his second home run of the game. He's now three for three with five RBIs tonight. Uh, impending free agent Chris Taylor. So, what's the score? It is now six two Los Angeles, into three. But no, that was another. We actually, I don't know if you saw that one, Leo. Michael Kaiser three four three actually he asked a question about the Mize article. And I don't know if you guys touched on it or whatever, but he said, basically it seemed in the Mice article, it seems you create more bowls that are filled other than the Tampa trade. Why not wait one season and look to trade Mice when you get Turnbull back and see what you have in Wentz, Fido, Brisky, 
Olsen and Manning. Seems you could get more if I, I improves. I, I thought that was a great question. Yeah. And the way he framed it was excellent. Um, of course, I mean, it's Twitter, so you can't put your whole entire thought on there. Usually. Yeah. But the one thing he leaves off is what if Mice gets hurt or, or pitches poorly this year, too? <laughs> and yeah. That's also on the spectrum of possibilities, unfortunately. But yeah, otherwise, I agree with him. I think that they maybe this wouldn't be the year. Even maybe next year would be if he has that big year. And they do know more about a few of the other guys. It made a lot of sense. It was a good point. Yeah, I thought it was a, a very legitimate point. I, I We were just joking about it, but I, I want to stress that, like, I wasn't advocating for the uh, Casey Myers trade. I know when you write an article like that, it's basically what comes what it comes across as, and I understand that. But it was basically just taking Lynn Hennings' tweet from a couple of weeks ago and, and seeing if I could come up with something that I thought was realistic for a situation. Like, I guess the, the one thing, I don't mind people getting upset about it. I totally understand it. And I got some nice comments. Some other people are like, yeah, I read it, and I don't want to do that. The only thing I don't want is like people to think that I just threw some ideas against the wall. Like I've been talking about this article with Raj for a week now. Yeah. It, it took me forever to find trades. Like I, I was, I went through 30 different trades in my head, like three team trades, all that stuff, working them out. So I found some that I thought were vaguely plausible. I, yeah. I, I love Tampa one. Oh, thank you. I, I don't know if Tampa would like it, but it's, I tried to. In every one of those deals, there are guys who are like legitimate top 50, top 20 prospects, either now or recently. Well, you're moving there. I thought the talent was relatively equivalent. But I think to Michael's, in a lot of those deals, you're basically hoping to break even. You're just moving your uh, pieces from one spot to another. It's from pitching to hitting. I guess what I left unsaid in that article, and what, what, to me, is I was already a, a pretty long piece. As, as I said before, I, for whatever reason, I can't write anything under 1800 words, but no matter how much I want to. So I didn't put like the whole idea that, yeah, I think if you go back to the, the Avila and Hitch press conference from a couple of weeks ago, they didn't, we recall, they didn't explicitly say they were going to go out and get a, a shortstop. I think it was heavily implied, but they did explicitly say they want to get a catcher and they want to get starting pitching. And so in my head, I'm just assuming this off season is going to involve getting one, two, maybe even three, like legitimate, decent starting pitchers. You could start to maneuver a little bit with, with what you have already. And the one trade I put up there, which is basically Mize for Nolan Gorman, the second baseman slash third baseman for St. Louis. If they make that trade, there's an implied second trade in my head, at least moving Jamer Candelario or possibly for a pitcher. It's just, I couldn't put that all in the article, but that's the way I was thinking about it. And this was just the way. But I think you talked about it before you, that, that this, the Tigers were a pretty bad offense this year. As much as we, we, we like their improvement, they still finished dead last in war, I think, in both Fangraphs and, or the bottom three, at least. So it was just a way to try to get some more young offensive players to build around. Uh, oh, that's why I enjoyed the article thoroughly. And I could see the merits of all three trades. I just happened to like the Tampa one the best because I just believe in our organization. And even if you took Fort Proctor out and something... Yeah. Well, six other guys, that would be just fine. Yeah, it's a wonderful year in their minor league system. But I'll go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. You're going to make a trade like this to bring in some top-line premium talent into the organization? It's going to hurt. It's going to feel bad to make that trade because you've got to give up something. And Henning put that tweet out there. Like, I, my hope is he didn't just make it up on a bull cloth that he had some kind of whisper in the wind that he heard, he always will have the scoreboard to point to and say, hey, I had Granderson before anybody. 
getting traded. And the public at large hated that trade beyond belief what had happened. Yep. And that was a massive win for the Tigers. Now, that's probably a pie-in-the-sky trade that we're, they're ever going to pull that off again. But I think that's what you shoot for. And if they find the right deal for Casey Mize or Targ Google, well, that's the only one it is. Yeah, and that's the one point you brought up. And, and it's something that I think all Tigers fans have witnessed over the last four or five years. We sat and saw Matthew Boyd, Michael Fulmer, and Daniel Norris all show signs of being very valuable and all lose almost all of that value. Yep. Um, <laughs> and to their credit, they were still able to spend something out of Norris and who knows what'll happen with Boyd or Fulmer, but it is, it's a balancing act where Casey Mize very well could take a huge step forward and be some pitcher in the future, or he could break like all pitchers do. And it was interesting. One of the guys, I don't know if we had him on the show before Roger, if we, we just uh, befriended him, uh, a guy Twitter at T it's like FWFB. I don't know. Uh, but he's a crowd oh, man. Yeah. He's uh all over prospect size. Good, good dude. Yeah. If he read the beast and said, I do that deal right now. The Gorman one for Scooble rather than Mize. And that's like, you, you said a couple of times, you think it might be Scooble who goes. And then I remembered, yeah, you know what? The Cardinals got to see a fully weaponized Scooble this year. I remember that one game he had 10 strikeouts, gave up two homers, but otherwise was basically untouchable. Yep. And as you said, if you want to get some talent, it's going to hurt. You got to, it takes money to make money. So, but do you have event. to go for Casey Mize and Google? Could you not maybe put forward Matt Manning? Because to me, I would think that Mize and Scooble are untouchable. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like they've shown a good progression. Yeah, no, I think I mean, you can make the argument for any three of those that they're young starters, I think, honestly. And if you go by baseball trade value, hey, there's Michael Meyer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think he's right that it makes more sense if they have more starting pitching. He said it makes more sense if Turnbull and Boyd are healthy, then you have some strength to trade for, from to acquire the hitter or two. Yeah, I, ideally, you'd be dealing from a position of depth. That's basically why I thought someone like Gorman would be available because the Cardinals have a really good offense with lots of pieces. It's just, just some ideas that throw out there. But as Danielle was saying, yeah, I think Manning, uh, baseball trade values, thinks Manning is the most valuable of the three young starters, whatever they, who knows, that reflects industry uh, consensus. But yeah, it's, to me, it's just kind of, Scooble, I think, has the most upside. Most people will would talk about Manning, but it, and it may be true that he still has a lot of upside. But to me, just based off this year, Scoople showed the most upside. Manning was the rawest, and Mize was this nice, steady, dependable middle. And it, to me, I thought that was like, might be what a team might prefer to target. At least these three teams. There may be other teams that would like somebody like Manning more, who, who they think they could squeeze out more potential out of it. But real. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say if you want to move Manning, that's totally fine too. Yeah, he definitely, there's a price that could be met to get Matt Manning. I just, I, and again, Danielle, we did a poll. I think more people would agree with you. <laughs> okay. There's yeah, no question. Absolutely. That maybe Mize and Scooble are untouchable. <laughs> I never, I, I just always been the opinion. Everybody has a price. Yep. Uh, there, there's a price yeah. that, that you can put on anybody's head. Head DiBiase style. That's right. <laughs> I will say, and I told, and, and Relio is a sweetheart. He actually checked in on me today. He's like, are you all right? <laughs> because, and it was funny because I was laughing about it, but I could see how, because that got a lot of negative reaction very quickly. It, I 
I was not expecting that. I did not, I did not expect the level of attachment to Casey Mize to be high already, which is totally cool. Like I get it. He's homegrown first overall pick. He came out there and pitched well this year. Yeah. That, that kind of took me by surprise. So maybe yeah. I have to, uh, adjust my perception a little bit. Okay. I was a little bit miffed because one of the, one of the comments said that was the dumbest article you've seen all year. And I know damn well I've written a cover article. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot. I've seen a lot of hot take artists, or I've seen other bloggers just rehash something that was said and then rechange it as there's some sort of their own wisdom, which I'm not going to say what blog it is. I'll tell you guys offline, but so it's not. I'm not, not Busty Boys. It's not Busty Boys. Those guys are cool, but I've seen that before. And there's a lot of this. I I, I hate when people when. Danielle and I have talked about this numerous times. How many people just read the headline and don't read the article? And yeah. there's something, and, and you know what? I did have a discussion with a couple of people on Twitter about his, his K rate. And he was talking about, well, Justin Verlander coming in his own. Justin Verlander, by the way, because, okay, so his K rate in double digits, he had it once in 2009. That was it. Mm -hmm. That he was. And then he, when he got to Houston, he had three straight before he got injured of K per nines and double digits. So he wasn't always the strikeout pitcher that everybody claims he was like in the eights or nines, which is good, don't get me wrong. And that was serviceable. And, Ver and Casey Mize was double digits in college and through the minors, or excuse me, through the minors. So it might happen, it may not happen, but that's okay. If you can get outs and be effective, but you definitely need some swing and miss stuff. But just that has a Verlander only, as, as much as people Forget Verlander only had one good in terms of like, excuse me, not, I want to say good season. That's not what I meant. I meant in terms of K per K rate of over nine it was ten point one. That was it. Yeah, and, and something we talked about before. I don't know if we talked. To, I think it was just a, during one of our phone calls. But the we talked about the Fangraphs plus stats where you can compare against league average, and where Verlander was still even as a rookie was still in like the 10% below league average, whereas Mize is like 15, 17% below, which is not, it's not a huge deal, but it's something worth noting. Strikeouts have, have skyrocketed. So being under paper inning now means more than it did in 2006. It's I think even Michael Fulmer, who wasn't a huge strikeout guy, had a higher strikeout rate relative to league average. But again, yeah, it like, it takes everybody time. And then the other thing we talked about with Verlander, I think we talked about off the air was another kind of potential risk factor there is we forget that everything jumped up for him when he went to the Astros and the Astros were pretty heavily implicated in all the uh, spider tech of Garrett Cole getting all the high spin stuff. And, and we know Verlander used to talk to that guy from the angels for getting the sticky stuff. So who knows if he comes back with the same level of spin on his pitches too, which was always a big deal for him. So I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Fair point. I just, I don't want, what I want, don't want to happen is that Verlander comes back and that's the same thing. And then just fans complain that we spend too much money. Dive. And look, honestly, teams need pitching cross the board, but Al Avila won't. And here's the thing. If you read Al Avila, if you pay attention to the, what he has said throughout, he said this during the post or pre the end of season press conference, they're not going to trade prospects. They're not going to trade their guys because they don't want to get burned again. And they don't want to, they're going to be conservative about it. And also. You have to write 20 articles a month, Chris. And I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have to, it's, look, working for Motor City Bengals has been awesome. I love it. I'm almost at 450 articles since I started. Wow. Two, amazing. two years ago. 
Yeah. And so I write a lot. I, I, we, I Again, criticism aside, criticism was fair. I did. There's some people that DM me about, oh, what was Chris thinking? Did you read the article? Yes. I don't agree with it. Okay. Agree to disagree. And there are a lot of okay. cool people out there, but the other people are like, oh, I'm following you. And Danielle and I were joking, <laughs> like making these public declarations. She's like, wait a minute. I think I've done that before. I'm like, I think I've mostly done it as like a joke. Yeah. But I think the funny part to me was in Chris's article, he says, something along the lines of this is inadvisable or trade yeah. inadvisable and for anyone who just commented right off the headline saying i'm unfollowing this trade is nuts why would you do that what are you saying are you okay <laughs> the article. I, I like are you on crack <laughs> the, i got the i got the vicky redford middle finger of the riddle no i thought it was hilarious and, and like i said i i don't think any, there was a time in my life when I was like 19 and 20, and if, if I wrote something and somebody criticized it, I would like basically go home and cry. It meant so much to me. I'm a big boy now. I can, if people read it, if disliked it, that's 100% fine. They didn't read it, whatever. If you just read the headline and got upset, I, I get it. People do that all the time. You know, nobody has time to read 1,800 words about fake trades. <laughs> uh, but yeah, whatever. And, and to Rolando, your, your point, like, this wasn't one, to me, I view like player season recaps, like the rookie in review. Those are the ones where I just like, I got to make the, you know, time to make the donut. got to get some post stuff. These are ones that are fun for me, despite all the anger and the people complaining. Yeah, there you go. Get the pitchforks and go after me. I dig it just to get the interaction. I don't do this looking for clicks or angering people. I like to write, I'd love to write articles, you know, written articles before that were very, you know, positive about stuff that it, it got good reaction too. I like those too. Uh, I don't know, but there, yeah, there is, there's an element of, Hey, we've got to write. So. Yeah. Case in point, for example, I don't know if it was you that I realized I said effect a, F, it, was that you that changed the headline there? I did. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure Sorry. cause I looked at her. No, it's, it's fine. I just hate that word because I looked it up on my, all right, I think I'm using the right context and I'm like, wait a minute. Damn it. But yeah, there, that article hasn't done, like, I'm looking at the numbers and I'm not going to go into exactly because if you want to know, I'll tell you, but I'm not going to tell everybody, but there's some of these numbers where I'm looking at it and it's not, you like, I'll, for example, I'll pour a bunch of research in an article. I, I did one on Chico Fernandez last year, one of the first Hispanic players, Latin players to play for the Tigers. I poured my heart. I did a lot of research for it and got nothing. No one took a look at it until later and then it became something a little later but even then out of all the articles i've ever done that was one of my favorite articles to do and guess what no one read it yep you know that's what i think we've probably all written an article about justin verlander that somehow got like thirty thousand, forty thousand pages and people there's certain things that people just want to click on other things that i don't think the seam shifted wake article i wrote a couple i got almost a year ago i guess was one of the favorite things one of the, the favorite things i've done and, and i don't think that got much traction because it's just obscure. And I thought, yeah, your piece on Korea, I thought that was really interesting. It was, uh, I, has anybody else talked about that interview he did where he talked about wanting to be on the East coast with not around here, like, no, not, not around here at least. And well, to me, there's where my translation skills come in handy because not only did he say stripes, he also talked about the pockets and you know, it's one of those things where I really believe that you have to watch out for David Dombrowski because then Dombrowski watches what he says in the public. He's very good at hiding his cards. And you don't think Philadelphia, and I looked this up earlier, got a war of 2.2 from shortstop. 
Dabrowski, if he's getting an open pay- paycheck or open checkbook, and they got a lot of money coming off the books, you don't think he's going to be writing? He's going to be writing checks left and right. And I think to answer your question, Michael, I think on YouTube, I think maybe the puzzle for sure is going to be gone. Yeah, Michael's question was he read your forty man roster piece, and how, how many do you think get kept? Or is that what he said? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who uh, we talked before about Cody Clemens, right? We think he's getting added. Or is he just talking about pitchers? I, you know what? I think, okay. I think Risky Hill, I think this is going to be added. Will Risky, Garrett Hill, possibly, and here's, okay. So possibly in terms of even outfield talent, Reese Olsen for sure, because that's all another one. And then my wild card would have to be. Honestly, I would probably be with Chavez Fernander. Only I say that only because they. I, I think Cody Clemens. I I think he. I don't, I don't know if he get drafted or not. If he did, I, I don't know. The Tigers. The, the offensive talent's still not there yet, but the Tigers have some intriguing bullpen prospects. If you think about and starters too, Garrett Hill and Bill Brisky did themselves a favor by pretty much forcing the Tigers' hands. All all players. Okay, got it. All right, there you go. Gotcha. You know, I don't think they have to add Brisky. I think it was a 2019 draft pick, wasn't he? So yeah, I, but he came up on the he came up with the Rule Five thing for whatever reason. Interesting. Anyway, I, but yeah, Olson for sure. We talk about right, and I don't know. I just think that it's one of those things where sometimes I feel like they keep guys just because they used a fairly high draft pick on them. <laughs> and Cody Clements is a name, and they don't have they've got room on the 40 man. For someone like Cody Clemens, I think. But I don't know. We'll see. Is De La Rosa up? He was a 2018 draft pick, right? He'll need to be at it if they want him. He got a hit tonight, by the way, in the AFL. Nice. Yeah, it's an interesting. That's always interesting to try to figure out. It's not as in the past when they were picking in the top five or whatever. You could also look and say, who are they going to take in the rule five? I I, I don't even know if they're going to bother this year. What are they picking? 11th, 12th, I think? Yeah, considering a trade, if they had somebody they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. But personally, I think the way the team is right now, I would I'm a little bit there. I would choose a guy every year. Because it's fifty grand if you send him back. Who cares? It's a rounding year. But I would always find somebody I find at least one percent intriguing and, and bring him over. Yeah, who was uh, I'm trying to forget there trying to forget. Maybe I should forget. That's the name of the dude they took from the Rangers, the pitcher. Oh, Reed Re- Garrett. Reed Garrett. Good luck. Yeah, you guys get that. Um yeah, he was interesting. Threw hard and had high spin. Good throw yeah. strikes. Couldn't miss bats. Okay. But like you said, you that's that's worth a shot if you've got a better in your uh, Sure. Do they keep relievers? Yeah. Yeah, that's relievers are generally I, I don't know exactly what he means by that question. I don't know if that's like to the tiger. Does he think that do we think the Tigers will keep some relievers? Or and the forty man, they take will they take a reliever and keep them? I don't know, but um, was it DeJesus? Yeah, I, to be added? I think he does too. Yeah, he does. Yeah, you saw that. He's an interesting one because we're pretty sure he's a Littlefield guy. And Littlefield, if you uh, missed it, ain't running things anymore. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. That's an interesting one. So you're saying the purge will continue? We'll see. We'll see what the new coaching staff thinks of. I don't know if they're down there. Uh, the instructs are still going on, or if they've started yet, uh, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it. Yeah, okay. was actually... if, if, if they go with relievers and they go with hard throwers, so much of the game now 
on the major league level is just moving toward, you got to have power and you got to have strikeout relievers in your bullpen. And, you know, I don't know where the Tigers finished in K-rate, bullpen K-rate this year, but I think you just need to have more and more bodies you can throw at that bullpen who can miss bats. So yeah, if they have some guys they think have that ability in time, I could see him leaning that way on those choices. I, and especially Fernando, who's, what, hit 96, 97, Chris, in the Arizona Fall League? Fernando hit 96. Flores hit uh, 97.4 tonight. Uh, yeah, no, Fernando's an interesting one. Once upon a time, the Tigers added Montreal Robertson to their 40-man roster. I don't know if people remember that. Ooh, Montreal Robinson. He was a big reliever who threw hard, was really raw. Uh, and then... He suffered a shoulder injury while lifting weights, I think, and that was it. Like, he's gone. It was one of a real bummer when a story like that, it's almost a situation, but not quite even there. He was this close, Dan. But, yeah, I could see it. Fernando, they sent him to the AFL. He's got a decent arm, got some swings and misses. I think his inning the other night, nine pitches, four swings and misses. I mean, there might be something there. We saw him. Maybe he's improving that slider. Yeah, I saw him at West Michigan and in, I think we saw him both. Yeah. Yeah, West Michigan and Erie. And Fernando really, I thought that he stood out to me because he's a 32nd round draft pick and just all the picks that were, all the guys who did well this year were all lower minor, like during the like late round draft picks and what have you. You can't really go wrong with that. And so that's either the Federer effect or whatever the case, whatever it is. I think offensively speaking, the Tigers still have some ways to go outside of Riley Green, Twister Wilson, and Ryan Kreider. Because if you look at the, the progress that's made among Erie and some of the draft guys in 2020, except for I mean, a guy that came right off the bat out of nowhere was Austin Murr. And then, so. uh, not out of nowhere to you. <laughs> yeah. You were new the whole time. Vast, Michael, in terms of Will Vast, we saw him pitch. He didn't really, it seemed like he was either dead arm or whatever, but it he didn't have any snap on his curveball. I thought it was fastball, just straight. What, what do you think, Chris? You, you were with you know, I mean, all right, You nailed it. I've seen Will Vast. Um, multiple times on TV and in person. We saw him, I remember seeing him a couple spring trainings and he'd be like up to 96 with a really good curveball. And then he had a, a like a changeup that came out of nowhere with the Mariners this year. But then he just, yeah, we saw him a couple times at Toledo and he just had nothing. It was like 93 tops. So I think dead arm might be right. He might just be a guy who's good for 15 innings a year or something like that. It's a vaguely interesting name. I don't know if he's what year he was drafted, he might be a minor league free agent now. I don't know. But All right. So on that note, thank you so much for watching on YouTube. And, of course, thank you for listening to Tiger Minor League or Tiger Radio Pod here at MotorCityBengals.com. Our thanks to Danielle, who, again, came out the first time. I thought you did a really good job. And you were, you were nervous, but you really didn't have to be. I thought you did a really good job. So I just wanted to. Still nervous. Still sweating. Yeah, you did great. And uh, don't forget to check out all our great articles over at mercyofbangles.com, including our piece on free agent catchers and do the research on that. I remember you discussing that there's not much of a market out there. Mm. Me? Oh, no. I think I said, I think I referred to it as slim pickings. So yeah, I still stand by that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's just going to be, it's going to be a long, it, in terms of the Tigers got to dress up, they have to get creative and hopefully make a trade. We'll back next week. It'll be close to Halloween, so maybe a Halloween scene type episode. I did the logo for Tiger Report in Halloween. I, I love Halloween; it's one of my favorite times of the year, where I could get the. I think we're I think we're passing out candy this year. I'm not really sure what we're doing yet, but it's on a it's on a Sunday, so that's going to be a strange. It's going to be strange because 
We haven't passed out candy the last couple of years. This year, I'm going to, I'm going to get dressed up and pass out candy. So, but I might be wearing this hoodie. Who knows? But we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Oh, you tactics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>